Jack Kirby changed his name from Jacob Kurtzberg, but he used several pseudonyms along the way. So how many do you know? Stick around to find the answer. Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years and have never lost my passion for comic books, something I try to pass on to old and new readers. Hello and welcome to episode 16 for February 22nd, 2021. First, I need to apologize for the way this episode sounds. My microphone died while putting this together and the backup wasn't the best quality. Overall, even with my better mic, Quality isn't as it should be, and I'm working on it to make this aspect better. With this episode, I'm at five months of doing the podcast. Frankly, I'm a bit disappointed with myself. I failed in meeting the metrics I set up when launching the podcast. It isn't a bad podcast, but it can and needs to be better. I'm not doing this podcast for the glories of being a podcaster. No, I'm doing this for the creators, comics, and publishers I think deserve more attention. My niche is covering content only available in the digital format. Also, I try to keep each podcast around 20 minutes. Segments are shorter because I'm trying to get you curious. If I give you a blow-by-blow, it takes away for the fun of you discovering new stuff and checking it out. With this episode, I'm adding a new segment in which I review a social media account, which I think is worth checking out. So this time around, I'm doing the podcast Zero Hour Strikes, which covers the 1994 mega event from DC Zero Hour. Now, Zero Hour came out about 10 years after Crisis on Infinite Earths and was meant to clean up DC's messy continuity problems and, in some cases, do a soft reboot of titles. The event and the podcast are worth checking out because the event was done right and created lasting effects on the DC mythos. Now, I want to hear from you and what you think of the podcast, what works and doesn't work. Also, I want to know what kind of content you'd like to see in future episodes, you can reach me at Fantastic Comic Fan, all one word, at gmail.com. Now, let's get on with the rest of this episode. A couple of months ago, DC and DK Publishing released the DC book, A Vast and Vibrant Multiverse Simply Explained. Now, isn't that a mouthful? But you should know, DK always puts out quality books, so you know you're getting your money's worth here. For a comic fan, he remembers all the years, 1, 2, 3, S, X, Prime, and all the crises, reboots, and soft or hard retcons, this exceeds a fanboy dream's expectations. Moreover, it explains DC better so that new fans can easily understand and delve into the mythos outside of the movies and TV shows. The introduction serves as a brief history of DC Comics, the company, and its evolution over the eight plus decades. As a longtime reader, I appreciate an overview of that history. However, for newer fans, I think it is essential for them to understand a little of the history because it can help connect the dots to the DC today, not just as a comics publisher, but to know how its characters are expressed in television and the movies, and why. As for the history of the DC Universe, the book starts right from the beginning. It acknowledges recent additions to the mythos, like Perpetua, sprinkles in long-ago created characters. So, for example, Anthro the First Boy gets a chance to shine again. 
even though he's been regulated to the back burner for what it seems like for other. Other heroes, outside the age of heroes, get some much needed attention. Characters like Arak, Captain Fear, and the Viking Prince, who seldom get used today, get the recognition and reminder of their talents and tales were essential parts of the DC mythos. I enjoy how the book doesn't ignore other parts of the mythos also no longer in fashion. So Western heroes beyond Jonah Hex, like Tomahawk and Cinnamon get their own time in the sun. Okay, okay, so those two barely get a mention, but that's part of the point. Western comics may no longer be a popular genre, but DC still put out decades of great Western stories. I remember buying them as a kid, and I wish DC were more proactive archiving them digitally so fans can rediscover these forgotten classics all over. Author Wynne Wysick, and I know I just butchered her name, the name and I apologize, he does a fantastic job of taking everything DC and making it accessible to new fans or the curious. The book's design allows you to go into deep dives or skim the surface of the DC mythos. Throughout the book, you can only find character information but timelines, maps, and charts, and tons of pictures. The book's content is divided into key subjects, like the multiverse, the dark multiverse, the metaverse, weird science and super tech, down-to-earth, mysteries from space, time warps, and others. The DC book is an invaluable resource to DC Comics and the mythos that no fan or wannabe fan will want to miss. It is such a great read. I think I'll probably end up reading it again, but regardless, it will remain an essential reference moving forward. In 1985, DC launched Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it was meant to streamline the DC mythos. In the end, there were no more multiple Earths or multiple takes on classic heroes like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. However, all was not right with the DC mythos 10 years later, and the company launched the miniseries Zero Hour Crisis in Time. Now, Zero Hour is meant to clean up the mythos and clear things up further along that no longer worked. It is a bit of marketing magic. The series started with issue 4 and went down to zero. October 1994 became known as Zero Month, where all the titles released a zero issue, which served to, as a soft retcon of the titles and characters. It also used the event to cancel some low-selling titles. Anybody remember Team Titans and Valor? and launched new titles, which most people probably don't remember, like Primal Force. Okay, this may seem like ancient history, like who cares? History that doesn't reflect the comic today, but that's not so, because there are tons of comics and events that remain iconic, just like this one. So fans are only cheating themselves out by not seeking out these older runs. In fact, DC's digital service, DC Universe, has the whole section on the reading order. Before you rush off to read the event, which you should, here's a fantastic podcast, Zero Hour Strikes, which has been covering the whole run. It launched back in 2019 and is still going strong with the 29th episode recently put out. So the podcast makes for a perfect companion for the series. It covers the miniseries and goes into the tie-ins. And like all good crossovers back then, there are tons of tie-ins. Crossovers today are more so self-contained, but not so back then. The more tie-ins, the merrier. So you get the coverage on Zero Issues and much more. Can you tell how much I've enjoyed the podcast? And I think you will also. It'll make a great addition to anyone's podcast library. Image Comic turns 30 this year. And I was there before the company formed. 
I remember those Marvel stars like Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson doing quality work for the company. The ensuing fall from the creation of Image rippled across the industry. Then, creators were much more exclusive to publishers than today, and to have so many top creators bail on a company, that never really happened before. Newer fans don't understand the history or the impact of Image over the years. Thankfully, surprisingly, there's an insider view in the recently released official Image Comics timeline. Right from the introduction by publisher Eric Stevenson, you get a sense of the importance of Image without the hyperbolic hype that publishers will often engage in since the dawn of comics. At the end of the introduction, Stevenson writes, There were fewer opportunities to work in comics than there are now, and fewer for still for anyone uninterested in superheroes. Image didn't change that single-handedly, but allowing writers and artists to retain ownership and control of their work. To new readers, that may seem like a duh, of course, that's how it should work. But unfortunately, for decades, some publishers did not create creators with the respect they deserve. The Image timeline is a labor of love, cobbled together by founding member Jim Valentino, who made iconic contributions to the whole industry, not just Image. I like what he puts together, because it's almost scholarly and subjective. You don't get the sense of him or anyone placing Image upon a pedestal with fireworks shooting overhead. Instead, Valentino takes his time putting together a sometimes month-by-month timeline. As a result, even those unfamiliar with Image comments can appreciate how the company helps steer the industry to where it is today. Overall, this is a fantastic read. And again, even if you're not a big Image fan, you should check this issue out. I think it does a fair job of objectively covering how Image Comics changed over the years and how comics changed in general. No question. Countless books and graphic novels tackle the history of comic books. Some are good and some not so good. However, I think they all present a kaleidoscope of what has gone on within the industry over the decades. Now take Comic Book History of Comics, Birth of a Medium by Fred Van Lunt and Ryan Delvey, which stands out for many reasons. One thing that makes it a good choice is it is available to read for free via Comicology Unlimited. I always say physical and digital comics should complement each other, not compete. Each has distinct advantages, and too often, those of us who have gone to comic shops for decades find it hard to embrace digital formats, and I understand that. Comicology Unlimited allows me to sample and read publications I might not want for my personal collection. I look at it as an extensive lending library, not only for me, but to introduce long-term fans and new fans to things that might escape their notice. For example, unknown to many fans is that there's quite a bit available on Unlimited covering the history of comics, creators, and publishers. Now back to Birth of a Medium, which goes back to cave paintings and humorously delves into silly, but enjoyable takes on the very first creators, comic editors, and first superhero creator. For me, it gets interesting 20 pages into this book, with the introduction of Jacob Kurtzberg in 1929. Of course, we all know him as Jack Kirby. The whole series is laid out in a comic book format, and there's an outstanding balance between words and illustrations. Actually, I feel cheated when it comes to The King. When I started getting into comic books around 1977, Kirby wasn't doing a lot. I'd missed out on his DC books with Darkseid and the Fourth World, 
and anything before that was out of my 10-year-old reach. Comic book distribution back then was spotty, and I was lucky to get the comics I could. Unlike today, where you can find Kirby's work everywhere, our whole social media accounts, blogs, and public domain comics works that spotlight all things Kirby. My introduction to Kirby were these teeny tiny pocketbook reprints of Silver Age Fantastic Four, and those tiny pages probably goes a long way to explain why I wear glasses today. Back to comic book history, which after that introduction to Kirby jumps to Cleveland, where a certain high schooler begins to dream and create a certain hero from Krypton, then eventually to Will Eisner as he contemplates the creation of his first superhero. And after that, comics began to take off, and by 1940, nearly every publisher jumped onto the superhero bandwagon. Unlike today, where publishers were scattered across the country, they were concentrated in New York City in the Golden Age. Publishers no longer around like Quality, All-American, Dell, Prize, and Fawcett produced some of the best comics for all ages. Also unlike today, those creators were not revered and celebrated. As Joe Kubert put it back then, nobody was proud of being a comic book artist. Matter of fact, it was a couple of steps below digging ditches. Truthfully, I'm surprised with how much they pack into each of the pages of this book. Of course, I can't possibly cover all the great things covered, but I will say this much. They really give Jack Kirby his due. But not only that, other creators are also covered in spotlight. I bet you didn't know, novelist Patricia Highsmith had a run in the comics during the Golden Age also. Comic book history chugs along through the creation of romance comic, that genre which was bigger than superheroes at one time, and EC Comics and the creation of the comic codes. So you might be surprised that Marvel Comics doesn't pop up until over 100 pages. Newsflash. While Marvel's important, it is part of the comic industry and not the top of the pyramid. The whole tapestry of comic books is much larger than Marvel or DC Comics, and comic book history does a fair job of giving a fantastic overview of the history of the industry. You can't go wrong reading the whole thing, more than highly recommended. Now on to our trivia answer. Jack Kirby did not like when others said he changed his name to hide his Jewish heritage, when in fact he chose the name because it reminded him of James Cagney. He used other pseudonyms, Teddy, Fred Sand, Lance Kirby, and Kirk Davis. But, of course, all True Believer fans know him as King Kirby. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you at FantasticComicFan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.